11 a.m. Veterans Day, November 11th. I'm Guy Adami. I'm here with Dan, Nathan, and this is Market Call. At 11 a.m. Eastern Time, every Thursday, every Thursday, we break down a macro call. We highlight the biggest analyst calls of the week. We're doing something we call trade-off and, of course, butters, one for the road. Joining us each week, Carter Braxton Worth from Worth Charting and Liz Young from SoFi. Today's episode of Market Calls brought to you by our three, oh my God, presenting sponsors, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. SoFi, get your money right all in one app and open exchange, Dan, because they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. And Dan, because they are our friends, yeah, well, let's give them a little shout out. Yesterday, they hosted a great event. I checked it out. Um, but in case you missed it, they held their first global Bitcoin and beyond virtual summit. It was assembled with some of the world's brightest minds and thought leaders in the clip crypto, blockchain, and DeFi spaces, helping viewers make sense of the chart or how to chart this new and exciting digital economy. This is brilliant copy here, Kavino. Um, in case you missed it, though, come back to openexchange.tv on the platform today at 12 noon, 30 minutes after our show for a full replay of the summit hosted by Angie Lau. She is the editor-in-chief of Forecast News covering all things blockchain. So check it out. I will be back there at noon to see that. You know, it's interesting. Everybody thinks they can do it until they have to do it and then they can't do it. Well, I don't know if you're a fan of the book of Ecclesiastes, third chapter uh, to everything Turn, turn. There is a season. Liz Young, why do I mention that, Liz Young? I know you know the answer. By the way, welcome, Liz Young. Thank you. Happy to be here. I do know the answer. Uh, are you going to sing the song for us? No, I, I, I thought maybe listen, I'd get a little, I, I will absolutely a little tune. Sing the song. You should know. I'm just like, <laughs> when people tell me to do things, I'm not shy. I will absolutely do it. I don't think our market call audience wants it. But if you're asking for it, I can go right into it. But I think you should just tell us where my mind is at. Yeah, yeah. Your mind is at the title of my piece this week, which is Turn, Churn, Earn. And the reason I titled it that is because I think there's a pretty big shift going on in markets that we can't ignore. And there are three different pieces of that shift that I wanted to break down for everybody. The first of which is this shift from monetary policy to fiscal policy and then to corporations and the strength that has to drive the market under the surface. So For the better part of the last 18 months, we've really been reliant on monetary policy, on Fed policy, on this never-ending liquidity spigot that they finally started to turn off last week. So we hear about the liquidity slowly drying up in the system. I don't think it's really going to have much of an effect until maybe early first quarter, second quarter of next year. But we finally had the train leave the station. I know we talked about that a lot last week. So what has to happen now is the market looks at What are the other pillars of strength that we can lean on? What are the other things that can keep us optimistic as investors going forward? One of those big pieces is that we finally got an infrastructure package, which I don't know if you guys remember, but we were hoping to get that infrastructure package when Donald Trump was first elected. So we've been waiting for that since 2016. It's finally coming. And we're going to see spending on all of the things that we've been waiting to see spending on The bigger news, too, is that we have another spending package likely coming in the next few weeks, hopefully, that also catapults some of that strength forward. And then you look at what happened in third quarter earnings season. Honestly, I thought it was going to be worse. I thought it was going to be a lot of commentary about inflation being a drag, 
about growth being a drag, about the Delta variant being a drag, and we didn't hear a lot of that at all. So third quarter earnings were strong. Corporations have really held their own. I think that's great. Second big theme here, I know I talk about small caps a lot. And actually, I'm going to tell you why I love small caps so much, because a long time ago, when I was an analyst at Baird, my first boss made me cover fixed income, and I thought it was the biggest snore in the world. And I just wanted him to let me cover something more exciting. And I hated him for it, right? I get to the end of my tenure at Baird, and he finally let me cover small caps, emerging markets, and global equity. And suddenly, I thought he was the best boss I'd ever had. So looking at small caps, though, they had this big breakout recently. And I think those of us that are small cap bulls have been waiting and waiting and waiting for this breakout. Now, there are reasons small cap can do well in this environment and why they had that breakout. Number one, small caps are the only major asset class that has outperformed inflation every decade since the 1930s. So in an inflationary environment, which obviously after a hot CPI print yesterday, we're still in an inflationary environment, small caps are a good choice. They also do well in expansions. Also something that we don't talk about, I think, enough is that the sector makeup of small caps just makes them look less sensitive to interest rates, right? Biggest two sectors in the small cap index are healthcare and financials. You look at the large cap index, you've got technology and communication. So just a completely different makeup of sensitivity. Still love the small caps, love them into the end of the year, into 2022. And then the last thing I'll say, the big shift happening in stocks from pandemic stocks to endemic stocks. We're finally getting out of this. So looking at things like travel and leisure, looking at transports, looking at everything that's gone through these kind of stops and starts as we've reopened and then pulled back and reopened and pulled back. Number one, I think we are exhausted with this whole stop and start thing. And now we're just going to start and not stop anymore. So you have to look at those stocks. I think that they're going to see another leg of strength going into the end of the year and in 2022. Yeah, Liz, I really like this call. And I know that you've been talking about small caps and just saying that while a lot of investors are looking at the sideways action of the last like nine or 10 months or so, you were seeing it as fairly constructive for the very reasons you laid out in this morning's piece is that, yes, there have been lots of sector rotations. And then there's also been lots of crowding in a small group of names in mega cap tech land. And sooner or later, that's just not where you're going to be able to get the alpha. And you think that opportunity here is in small caps. Let's Let's take a look, though, at some of those sectors that you just mentioned. Look at the transports. Now, Guy, you know, he co-authored the white paper on the Dow theory um, about 100 years ago with Charles. What was your friend, your roommate named Charles Dow guy? Um, and we, we so, weren't roommates. I mean, we were friends. We were acquaintances, Dan, but okay, please continue. Fine. And so the whole theory there was that, you know, the, the transports, right, had to confirm the highs in the industrials um, to really kind of show the breadth of them. Well, here we are. We had this literally this straight line move. And you could say a lot of that had to do in transports with um, this anticipation of the infrastructure bill. But we could be at a little bit of a double top when you look at the IYT and then you look at where the industrials, they got stuck at those prior all time highs from previous in this year. You know, I know you're not a technician. I'm just curious of your thoughts. Will you see those sectors break out as the Russell 2000 has? Yeah, I do think you will. And, you know, what's interesting is the infrastructure package went through. I think that we all expected it to go through and we thought that it was priced into the market. It turned out it wasn't entirely priced into the market. You saw industrial stocks pop really big the day that it went through. So I think there's still more room to move here. Also, like I said before, we're not in this stop start cycle anymore. We're going to start and we're going to continue. And if there's spending that happens that isn't growing the deficit, you've also got this kind of 
revitalization in CapEx that's going to occur in 2022, that all helps industrial stocks. The other thing we need to look at, Liz, is the XLE, obviously energy, highly weighted, ExxonMobil, ConocoPhillips, Chevron, the big cap integrated names. Um, energy is interesting here. It's hard to really figure out. I still think it's off to the races. A lot of people think we're exhausting ourselves. We're going to hear from CB Dubs later. I'm sure he has some thoughts. But what are your, what are your thoughts here on the energy sector? Yeah, so we talk about energy so much, at least from a macro perspective, to say when energy prices spike, it can be a harbinger of a recession. It can be a warning that something bad is coming. I think they'd have to spike a lot more from here. I agree with you, Guy. I think we have more room to run, especially as we're moving into the winter season. Demand isn't going anywhere, and it's clear that OPEC isn't clamoring to create more supply. So I think we're in this space for a while. I think we can move up in energy prices, stay under triple digits, but I think we can move up in energy prices and still be okay. Liz, before I let you go, where can we find you on Twitter? There are a series of questions I'm about to ask you. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, the first one's easy. I'm at Liz Young Strat on Twitter, closing in on 20,000 followers. I started When I started at SoFi, I had 7,000. So well, we, my we goal by the get, end of the we, year is to triple that. Yeah, we need to get that to 100,000. <laughs> I'm going to make it my vision quest to get it there. Number two, how can we sign up for SoFi's daily newsletter? Do you know that or you need me to read it for you? I'm sure you know. I would like to actually hear Dan read again from the slide. Oh, there it is here. Hey, Guy, really quickly, before we get to SoFi.com backslash daily, because that's where you can read her blog every Thursday. See, I did a good job there. Guy, are you a soft G or a hard G at Harbinger? Uh, I'm a hard G. Har- okay. well, I mean, that's interesting. Harbinger. I don't know if yeah. that's a soft or a hard. I'm not really yeah. sure. Well, well, we'll check that out. I used out. a hard, I think, right? Yes, you used, you went a little hard. And that was your Wisconsin, you know, like native. In yeah. you. I think that's what really happened there. Yeah. But that's great. So SoFi.com backslash daily is where you can find Liz's weekly. And she comes on Market Call every week to discuss it with us. And it's our pleasure, Liz. And before, Liz, I let Thank you Thank you for do having you believe, me. Do you believe in coincidence, Liz? This is my last question to you. <laughs> yes or no? I believe in coincidence and fate. Okay, fair enough. So when do you think you really got your feet, when you really dug in at SoFi? Would you put it at the middle of the summer-ish when you really sort of embraced the whole SoFi thing? Is that about right? Uh, I think I embraced it pretty early on. I mean, you have okay. to fall in love with the brand. You have to fall in love with the mission. I mentioned Where is this going? What? What there's pond are you no, leading the horse to? There's no coincidence <laughs> that when you really got you, when you really immersed yourself, when you really became a a fixture there at SoFi, that was um, this summer. Look at what the stock has done since. I don't think it's coincidence. I think the genius move of Anthony Noto was to hire Liz Young. Yes, I'm saying that here on Market Call. So thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next Thursday. Thank you. Now it's time to bring in the great Carter Braxtonworth, who's been sitting patiently listening to this. Carter, before we get into a few things, I'd like you to opine on what you have heard. Well, so many good points, and, and uh, many are both consensus and many are controversial. One thing we know about so-called value growth, because going into small cap right versus large cap is, in a way, making a bet on value. Um, Value, uh, small cap stocks on a long-term basis, the industry is a survivor bias. A lot of them go out of business. Um, in fact, a statistic, if you if you break below your IPO price by more than 10, 
the odds are almost 100% that you go out of business. So because of that, a lot of small cap stocks are shedded from the Russell and so forth. And to some extent, the Russell 2000. And that is a part of the circumstance that would call it a long-term outperformer. Whereas we know, actually, history tells us really looking back 100 plus years, 80, 90% of all stocks underperform T-bills. It's just a few super gods, super champions, the names we know, Apple and so forth, that ultimately drive performance in equity markets. But uh, value growth, look, I mean, one way to look at this, because we're talking about essentially industrials, right? We're talking about financials and that kind of thing. If you were to look at something called the S&P 500 Pure Value Index, which captures uh, heavy weighting in energy, in industrials, in financials, right? It basically is outperformed for a period of five months, only five, essentially in the past five years. And since May of this year, now six months, it's trailing the S&P by a thousand basis points. I'm more in the growth camp. Yeah. Well, Carter, what do you make of though? We were just talking real quickly. When you look at industrials, you look at transports, they're back to those prior highs. Do you think they have enough oomph here to break out? I mean, I'd much more inclined to be reloading on that um, Russell 2000 or the IWM if it were to come back and test and kind of hold um, that uh, breakout level. The other ones look kind of double toppy to me. Right. Well, the IYT, which you referred to, of course, the transportation average, yeah. uh, Charles Dow, you know, a guy's roommate. The thing is, he had that as a price weighted index. Right. And so car Avis influenced the breakout. But IYT, which is cap weighted, we know that three stocks are basically 40 plus percent. So it's UPS and two big rails. And we're right at that former uh, high. And what you reference, of course, is does it break out or does it falter? Does it turn into a double top uh, or not? For now, it is stuck contending with the former high. Yeah, yes, it seems to be. All right, uh, Carter, I know you want to talk about rates, and I know that you've had a great call on this, and you've been charting them for a while. Here's a chart of the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, but Amanda Diaz overlaid um, a tweet from David Rosenberg of Rosenberg Research this morning that really um, I identify with, at least as far as my worldview about inflation and about markets and about rates here. So the tweet was this. So inflation is back to where it was in October of 1990 and July of 2008. Guess what? The economy was recession bound both times. The Fed's next move was not exactly to raise rates and Treasury bond yields plunge in the coming 12 months and by a lot. Bob Farrell's rule number nine reigns. Now, Guy probably has all of those memorized or at least written a few of them down on his palm that he can read during this. But what do you make of this? Because that upper left, bottom right, man, that is uh, a train wreck. Yeah, it is a train wreck. It, it is what disinflation is all about. Productivity is very uh, deflationary. Demographics are deflationary, uh, tech and so forth. And what a great person to refer to. Of course, Bob Farrell is one of, if not the greatest uh, technicians, chartists of all time at Merrill Lynch, where he reigned uh, supreme for decades. Uh, the, I'm in the lower rates camp. I mean, here we are after all of this. And the truth is, 10-year yields are tethered to 1.5%. There's no difference between 1.4 and 1.6, 1.5 and 1.7, 1.3. We are stuck going nowhere. I like the tether. That, I like that game, tether ball. And this is in a pennant formation. And listen, you guys both have been right. We've had these moves to the upside in 10-year yields. They failed seemingly each time. Look, I'll stand by it because I've. this is sort of uh, my mountain that I've chosen, my hill I've chose to sort of fight or die on. But I still think we go higher. But, you know, this suggests something completely different, Carter. So this pennant formation, this flag, whatever you want to call it, 
it's going to break. I think you think it breaks lower and in a meaningful way. Uh, that's my hunch, right? And that's what makes a market. There are a lot of people positioned for the exact opposite. Uh, but the point is that you do, and that's this is really what technique is all about. You do work your way into a uh, the apex of a wedge or a triangle, which is to say there's a standoff. There's moments of equilibrium. And then something comes along, fundamental, an earnings beat or miss, Disney, for instance, or something from the Fed or something that's geopolitical that causes a resolution that is dynamic. My hunch is it's down and out through the bottom line. All right, Garner, we got to talk about the other call that you made last week, and it was about the the gold miners. But let's look at gold here because Guy has been all over this one, um, at least from the, the just the recent lows, suggesting that we are going to have a breakout and possibly a move back to the prior highs of 2020. I think it was somewhere about two, uh, 2000 or so. Well, we have this breakout. Now, we've seen failures in this downtrend. You could have driven a, a couple of different downtrends where there were breakouts above, but then ultimately failed to that long-term um, uptrend. Is this breakout going to be any different than some of the ones if you had drawn different downtrends over the last uh, year and a half or so, Carter? Well, that's right. And, and I think what's important is and is how similar it was to the yield chart, because it really doesn't matter whether this is a sushi company, a sneaker company, or rates or gold, meaning these phenomenon repeat. Now, is this one a, yet another one that falters? What's interesting about the strength in gold recently, of course, it comes in the context of the Fed. And so I think it's going to have legs this time. Next thing we need to look at, Carter, is the GDX. And you have a great chart here. Appears again, very similar, more levered, obviously, to the price. That's a good looking chart. I love those little red circle, half circle lines. This, to me, suggests uh, continuation to the upside. I think so. I mean, you know, formations have their names. Uh, the original uh, writers, uh, no one believed them. How ironic, right? So they started calling it their patterns, things that people would recognize. Why? Well, that does look like a head and shoulders. That does look like the cup and handle in the cabinet. But they, no one believed it. And of course, now it's all come of age. I mean, the greatest market participants, frankly, from Steve Cohen to Lewis Bacon to Stanley Drug, they're all massive chartists. And we know that the quant machines, is that a head and shoulders bottom? Doesn't matter what you call it. It's what a reversal formation looks like. And that green arrow, I think gold miners go higher and they project. You can see there, uh, there's an unfilled gap above. Let's buy them. Let's keep yes. buying them. Yeah, so last week, Carter, you and I did a little bit of a trade-off, and I said, listen, other than my kind of bearish view overall fundamentally on gold, I see what you see, and I think you had a great call um, on this chart, and that price action um, yesterday was pretty powerful. I will say that you know both gold and GDX, they opened higher, they closed kind of poorly, but they're making you know new highs today, so that's pretty constructive. Um, let's see what happens with the dollar. Let's see where rates go. I think these trades are obviously very well um tied together. But part of that trade-off last week, Carter, we talked about Bitcoin a little bit. And when you look at this thing, it's really done a nice job um, hanging out at these prior all-time highs here after such a sharp ramp. You know, I was thinking that a bit of a back and fill, maybe to the October breakout or maybe back towards that 200-day moving average would be really constructive, especially after you've had, you know, these two moves, that one from 30,000 to 50,000 and the pullback to 40,000 and then up to basically 
nearly 70,000. I mean, can we go straight to 100,000 where a lot of people that we know are calling for 100,000 by year end and we are less than two. Now listen, that target doesn't matter other than the fact that that is a nice big round number. And I know that there's a lot of people who kind of have a lot of vested interest in seeing it go there. But what do you want to see happen to this chart here? And is this flag constructive after such a sharp move over the last two months? It's everything you've characterized as. First of all, it was a sharp move to not a random level, a prior high. And more often than not, you contend with the high. It's doing that. So the action is healthy and constructive. Now, a breakout projects meaningfully higher. By the end of the year, 100, uh, it seems like a stretch. What is interesting, though, and this is relevant to this chart, of course, is that Ethereum, of course, has cleanly and clearly exceeded its former high whereas Bitcoin is stuck here a bit contending with it. Our first analyst call of the day is Bank of America Merrill Lynch. You're getting geeked up about the EV makers. They raised their price target on Tesla, Lucid. I mean, a lot of things going on. Before we get into those calls, I mean, we got to talk about Rivian, which we have a $95 billion now. As we're sitting here talking, I think the market cap is north of $110 billion. CBW, you're not just a pretty technician face. You're also a fundamental analyst at times as well. Talk to me about what your thoughts are on the auto space. Yeah, so actually there's a cute ETF. It's got a great symbol. ETF's not cute. The symbol's cute. Cars, C-A-R-Z, and it tracks Toyota, and it tracks Honda, and it tracks Mitsubishi. But it's also got Tesla and GM and Ford. It's got Daimler, BMW. It's got Kia, and it goes on and on. It's a, it's a great way to capture the space and wants to trade it in aggregate. But what we do know, of course, is it's it's Tesla at the top and all the other market caps uh, don't really add up to one Tesla. So is Tesla really about autos or is it maybe the world's battery company being priced like that or some other uh, venture that's even unknown perhaps? So uh, Tesla has its own thing, but what's so fascinating and everyone knows this is that the formation was the same, Tesla, is that not identical to everything we see over and over and over? And that is the point of charts. This has nothing to do with Carter Worth. It has nothing to do with Charles Dow. It's the way they work. And if you pivot back to the point from which you broke out, which would also be a gap fill, that's mm-hmm. a back up the truck for, for Tesla. Yeah, I agree. Now, look, I look at this, Carter, and I say there's a potential for the mother of all, and yes, I use that term, gap island reversals. Is there a potential for us to gap open lower one day and create this island, which not only takes us uh, below that trend line, it might take us to levels we haven't seen since the spring. Yeah, I, well, the, the, I think you hold and bounce off the, if you get a gap fill from the, uh, you know, the, the gap of four or five weeks ago, I think you, you're big buying uh, in, in the incremental weakness. Okay, let's take a look at No, let's take a look at Lucid, because that's obviously a name that we mentioned as well. This is a sort of shorter term Lucid. What is this telling you? Again, drawing some beautiful, these to me are parallel lines, if I'm not mistaken. They certainly are. They're mathematically exactly parallel and precise. And what it is, is this is otherwise known as a flag, right? So the pole is the heavy, and you don't see volume here, but you get a heavy volume thrust. And then the reaction, people react to a move of strength by either trimming or trying to short it. And the stock pulls back, but it looks like a flag flapping in the wind. And then you get the next thrust and you pull back. And if you look at this pattern in the context of a longer term pattern, there we go. How beautiful. Um, 
the next sequence calls for higher. I think you buy this current flagging uh, for the next sequential pop. Obviously, Ford's become a name that everybody's talking about for the first time in a long time. Let's take a look at that chart because it's interesting in the short term. It's even more interesting, I think, in the long term. Short term first, CB Dubs. Short term, textbook. Circumstance again, you get to a former high, you back and fill a bit, then you exceed it. And this is in a perfect world, if one wants to participate on a longer term base, not trading quickly, you'd stay long right calls. That's elemental. Or do you trim a little bit if you're not in the call uh, or options business? I think you trim a little bit because often you start to check back. We're seeing it in Tesla right now to the point from which you broke out. Yeah, I think it's really interesting if you look at the 20 year chart. And I think this is what, um, you know, uh, Guy is kind of speaking to. Yes, you've had this kind of parabolic move of late, but you're basically at a, a really important level going back, you know, almost 20 years here. And, you know, listen, a lot of this excitement in Ford of late had to do with this Rivian IPO that right now is very near a hundred billion dollar market cap. And Ford has a 12% stake in that right now. So you're seeing a little bit of that price action. Um, the Ford looks really interesting to me i agree if you do have a pullback and i think it's probably you know 18 ish or something like that to that long-term breakout i think you probably see people reload if the whole auto space is going to be revalued or re-rated because of either their own exposure or their own commitment to electric vehicles um then that can should continue to work for a while and you know that lucid has a 73 billion dollar market cap now rivian has like i said nearly a hundred and i want to go back to tesla for a second because what's really interesting interesting is that analysts were really skeptical of this story, most of them, until I want to say over the last year or so, right, as they were nearing, let's say, a million production or shipments in cars right now here. And so to me, I think you can see rising tides lift all boats, even if those guys don't have a lot of revenue right now, because, you know, you really want to go for these pure plays and that's being rewarded, or at least from Tesla's standpoint, the market's rewarding that. So I would see maybe a source of funds in Tesla and then money moving into Lucid um, and also maybe some of the ice. They call those guys the internal combustion engine automobiles because if they're going to increase their production of EVs, maybe they should be re-rated to a little bit. 67 GTO is on my wish list in case you want to buy me something for Christmas market call. Audience, the next call we have to look at is Atlantic Equities downgrading Disney. This is sort of thanks for nothing, but okay, that's fine. They lowered their price target to 172 from 219. Listen, I've said this for a while. The whole Disney Plus thing, just by putting plus on the back of something doesn't mean it's going to be great. And that thing is ratcheting to a halt. And oh, by the way, you wonder if it's the lost leader that's going to actually make a difference. I don't know. The average, the average price target on Disney is 202. We do have a chart, CBW. Um, it's really interesting. We have now broken down through uh, long-term support. Thoughts, Carter? Well, for starters, the first thought is uh, I was playing for a move above and break out to the upside. And so uh, first thing in terms of just good technique, first loss, best loss. If, if that's your position, just walk away. But what's more important is why does this look so similar to the 10-year yield? Or why is this so similar to gold? Because, again, it has nothing to do with what they do. It has nothing to do with theme parks. It has nothing to do with the mouse ears. These patterns repeat over and over and over. And guess what? They break out and they break down once you get into the apex. This one broke down. If you're long, you walk away. Next chart we need to look at is Netflix, I think, because this to me, 
This has been the winner of them all. And I've said for a while on Fast Money that Reed Hastings is probably the most underrated CEO in the country. And he's proving that over and over again. I would say two missteps maybe over the last decade or so. And, you know, Disney's trying to be Netflix. They can't. Netflix is Netflix. And they have a, probably a five-year head start. That's sort of my fundamental view. But there's a technical view as well. This thing continues to find support and trade against it to the upside. That's right. And, you know, Guy, we could do the same, which we did with the Lucid. You could do the same flagging, right? You could put those parallel lines in there uh, three times now, which is to say you get a strong advance. And then after any strong move that's ahead of itself, people react to it. They say, I should book this. I should I should try to short this. And that reaction to strength not only halts the advance, it forces the stock lower. But often the flag stops at an identifiable level. And notice this has stopped precisely at the trend line that's been in effect since August. I think the sequence calls for up, and that's the way to play it. Before we get to Butters, I will say right now as we're speaking, Disney has traded close to 33 million shares. It typically trades nine. So maybe maybe you get some sort of capitulatory short-term bottom on on uh, volume in terms of shares, we'll see. But that's for another time, another market call. One for the road, and you know, we've got to know Mr. Butters really well. He does extraordinarily thoughtful work. His one for the road this week is on inflation. Now, don't get me worked up, but I know I'm gonna get Dan worked up. Please, Dan, uh, Nathan, opine on our one for the road. Yeah, so John Butters gives us a preview of his earnings insight that drops on Friday mornings. I think this one is really interesting, especially on a week that we had that really hot CPI print here. He's saying 283 S&P 500 companies have discussed inflations on their earnings call for Q3 to date, the highest number going back um, at least 10 years. That makes total sense for me. He's talking about some of the sectors where you're seeing it the most. Here's what I see when I see peak inflation mentions by S&P 500 companies. They have absolutely nothing to lose to mention it. It's almost like a mulligan, right? If you are in um, a golfer, that sort of thing, if you think about it that way, especially if you're seeing any headwinds to your business, just talk about it. Everyone else is doing it. 282 other companies did mention it. So to me, I would actually be looking for this to recede as we get into Q4 and and start hearing about, um, they won't mention it anymore, right? Once it starts abating, it's giving them a little cover um, as things are a bit um, rocky or, or at least their guidance, then they don't have a lot of visibility. But to me, I think 2022 is going to be uh, really about the receding of inflation fears. Well, it's amazing. 30 minutes goes by in like a half an hour like this. And that you mentioned Mulligan. I loved her in that movie, Rounders. I want to thank <laughs> our guests, Liz Young and Carter Braxton Worth. And I want to thank, obviously, our sponsors. And if you like financial data and earnings content shared during the market call, please subscribe to FactSet's Insight blog at insight.factset.com to access more great content. Dan, today's episode of Market Call was brought to you by our presenting sponsors, and there are three. FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. SoFi, get your money right all in one app. And of course, Open Exchange, Dan, because they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. We see you next Thursday, which will be the 18th of November. We are in, within an earshot of Thanksgiving. See you guys and gals later. Thanks. Nice.